to touch them. Does God need to touch you again? From Mark chapter 8, if you found your place, would you stand with me for just one last time this morning? We're going to read a story beginning in verse 22. It's only a few verses. But this is what we're going to look at today. It's Jesus healing a blind man in a city called Bethsaida. So Mark chapter 8, verse 22 begins, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Father, we pray today that you would touch us again. If we've lost our way, if we've lost our sight, that you would touch us again, Lord. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Help us to see our purpose, your plan, and to follow that obediently. Lord, I ask that you would increase and I would decrease so that you would get all the glory today for everything that happens in this place. And we'll give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. There's a Gaither song that I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. I almost asked Phyllis at the spur of the moment to do it, but I didn't want to put you on the spot if you didn't know it. But there's a song that they do called He Touched Me. Some of you probably know that song. And, and I was thinking a lot about the words this week. He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know. He touched me and made me whole. I also thought a lot about John Newton and his song Amazing Grace. And the words in that song applied so much to this text we read this morning. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. If you're here today and you're saved, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't need to explain to you what happened when Jesus found you and He touched you. A darkened heart was made alive. You were born again by the Spirit of God. And blind eyes could now see clearly the beauty of Jesus. You could see Him resurrected high and lifted up. And that day, that moment changed your life forever. And it's still changing your life. My friends, when you meet Jesus and He touches you, you cannot ever be the same. You will not ever be the same again. But I want us to look at this story today. Because there is something that happens to every one of us, even as believers, after we've been touched by God. After our hearts have been changed. After we have become His children. There still become seasons in our lives where we stray aside from Him. Where the world weighs heavy on our hearts. And perhaps pulls our attention away. Things that we once thought we were free from creep back into our lives. Distractions, cares, concerns begin to flood our hearts again. And as the church in Ephesus was told, we leave or have left our first love. And my friends, what we need in that situation is a touch from Jesus. We need to be touched again. So let's look at this text. I'm just going to give you what God gave me this week as I studied this. And I hope that as we go through it, He will reveal to you the things that He revealed to me through His Word. So look at verse 22. It tells us that they came to Bethsaida. You're probably familiar with Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Bethsaida means house of fish. There were some miracles that took place in this city in the past. Jesus fed 5,000 with two fish and a few loaves of bread. You're probably familiar with that story. He did that in Bethsaida. We also probably know the story where Jesus walked on the water. That also took place in Bethsaida. And so now we see Jesus coming back to this familiar place that was situated on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. He made the rounds through there quite often. But as I looked at Bethsaida in the Word of God, 
I found that Jesus had some less than favorable things to say about this place. We often kid about Hamilton having a bad reputation, and anytime somebody brings up Hamilton, it's most often in a negative light. But imagine if Jesus himself had something very negative to say about your city. That's what we see in Matthew 11, verses 21 and 22. Listen to what the Lord says about this city and two others close by. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which were two Gentile cities on the northwest coast that were less than favorable in God's sight, He says, if the miracles that you all saw were done there, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. That's some strong language. Because those cities had already been prophesied against that judgment had and would continue to fall upon them. And now he's saying that these Jewish cities where he frequented so often were going to make out worse than the Gentile cities of Tyre and Sidon. That's a strong indictment. He's rebuking the city. More importantly, he's rebuking the people in the city. Why would he do that? Well, he said it was because they saw the works that he did. They saw his miracles. He proved who He said He was to them, and they would not believe. They rejected Him. And based on that unbelief, Jesus said that the judgment of Tyre and Sidon would be more tolerable than it would be for Bethsaida. And so, these men in this city, perhaps there were a few, a remnant, if you will, of believers, they bring, you see in verse 22, a blind man to Him. And they beg Him. To do what? To touch Him. They beg Him to touch Him. There's just something about someone's touch. Touch is such an important thing. There have been studies done. There was a psychologist named Harlow who did a study with baby monkeys and he would isolate some of them and he would love on and touch the others And the ones that were deprived of touch would not grow. They would not mature. They had obvious issues with them. He even did another experiment where he gave some of them a stuffed animal and he gave others some food, a bottle to drink. And the ones that had the bottle actually left the food to go and snuggle and be touched. It was more important to them than to be nourished. And so there's a powerful thing about touch. But as powerful it is for human beings, it's even more powerful when it's the supernatural touch of God. When God Himself touches man, it does something that no physical touch can do. It changes us in ways that cannot be found in humanity. So I say all that as an introduction to say this this morning. I want to ask you some questions. You don't have to answer But I want you to think about this because these are the things that I thought about this week. Have you reached a hopeless place in your life? Has just the state of the world or perhaps the state of your family or the state of yourself caused you to begin to think that the situation that you are currently seeing in life is hopeless? Have you began to believe that this is going to be your lot and portion indefinitely in life? Let me ask you this. Is it hard to find your joy anymore? Is it difficult for you? I'm not talking about coming here and pretending that you're happy, which a lot of you do. I'm talking about having real joy in your heart because of what Jesus has done for you and the opportunity that you have to walk with Him and obey Him. Is it hard to find joy? Has your faith taken some blows? Are there things that you read in the Word of God that you were once certain about, but now over and over because people have let you down, you've been hurt, you've been waiting on God and haven't seen Him move, that your faith has been a bit shaken, if you're honest this morning. That you may not believe quite as strongly in certain things, or even in Him Himself, that you once did. 
Are you not sure this morning about what your purpose is? What God wants for you? Where He wants you to go? What He wants you to do in His kingdom work? Have you kind of lost your way? Or how I'll say it this way, have you lost your vision this morning? I want us to think today not about the negatives. I want us to think about the help that is available today. I want us to think about the help that can be found for your hopeless condition. I want us to think about the one that gives joy in the midst of all circumstances. I want to think about the one that gives you a purpose in life and meaning in life. I want you to once again look to Him and find faith and strength in the one that died for you and lives forevermore. I want to ask you a question. Does God need to touch you again? Does He need to touch you again? I read this text over and over this week and I came up with three questions. And I want us to look at these questions and I'm going to share the answers that God gave me this week. So I want to look at these together with you. Look at verse 23. It says at the beginning of that verse that after they had brought this man to Him, that Jesus took the blind man by the hand. I'm glad today that when I get off the path and when I stray away, Jesus doesn't just shout and bark orders at me. He comes and finds me. And He takes me by the hand. And He leads me where I need to go. I wish somebody would say amen this morning. Get you some coffee and wake up. Do something. But we ought to be happy that God loves us enough that every time we stray away, He leaves the 99 to go find us. I don't know about you, but I've been in the wilderness before. And I'm glad that He didn't leave me there. He comes and takes this blind man by the hand and He leads him. And that's what He does for His people. He leads us beside the still waters. He restores our soul. He is a good and loving God. And if you need Him today, you need to reach out and take the outstretched hand of Jesus. Stop trying to stumble along in the dark. Stop trying to pretend that you're okay and take hold of the hand who's already taken hold of yours and follow Him where He wants you to go. The problem is we push and we rebel against where we are going because we don't understand sometimes why He's taking us that way. Why are we doing it like this, God? And so we jerk back and say, I'd rather go this way. I'd rather do it my way. And we push away the hand that took the nails for us. We push away the one that loves us. And many of the problems that we are facing today as believers are in direct correlation to the fact that we are pulling and pushing against the leading of Jesus. We continue to demand things be done our way. And until we humble ourselves and surrender our lives completely to Him, you will constantly be fighting a battle against the God of the universe. And I can tell you who's going to win that. The God of the universe will win that fight every time. Here's one thing that God showed me this week, and I wrote it down. I felt as though the Spirit said, you can go where you want to go, but that doesn't mean you'll be blessed when you get there. You can go where you want to go, but that doesn't mean you'll be blessed when you arrive. And I would rather go where God wants me and have His favor upon my life than push, pull, kick, and scream to do it my way and see His hand pulled back and say, you want to go, go. And if you don't think He does that, read the Old Testament and see how many times He let Israel go where they wanted to go. And then when they got where they wanted to go and they found out it wasn't so great, what did they do? God help me! We need you again! And I'm glad He comes for us. Because He certainly could say, not this time, and we would get what we deserve. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I said that I was going to share you three questions with you that I saw in this text. Here's the first one. You can write these down if you're taking notes. I want you to notice in verse 23 something that I've never seen Jesus do in any other place. It says, He took the blind man by the hand, and these words jumped out at me, and led him out 
of the village. Number one, here's point number one. Jesus separated the one He touched. Jesus separated the one He touched. In every other situation that I read in the Gospels, when Jesus healed someone, He healed them right where they were. This is the only place that I can find where Jesus took someone and removed them from one place to another, then performed a miracle on them. And so my first question when I read that was, why? Why would Jesus take this blind man, who He could have healed right there on the spot, why did He take him outside of the village before He healed him? Now, when I say that Jesus separates us, or separated the one that He touched, I'm not speaking this morning on salvation. Jesus will come to you if you're lost today, wherever you are. He's not asking you to clean yourself up and remove yourself from the world first. Then you're worthy to come to church or come to Him and find salvation. I don't care if you're in the pew or on the bar stool. Jesus can touch you right where you are and save you. And He's done that many times. I'm speaking today for those that know the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us as believers that we are to be separate. We are to be different. In 2 Corinthians 6.17, Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, then I will welcome you. We are called as His people to be different from the world. We are to separate ourselves from the old man and the old nature that we used to live in and relish. We should now be different. So why would Jesus take this man out of the city? I am convinced as I study this that it is in direct correlation to what that city was described as. It was a city of unbelief. It was a city that Jesus had condemned to judgment worse than Tyre and Sidon. And so this man is asking for something that is going to require faith. If you are blind and you come to Jesus and ask to be healed, it's going to take faith to receive that miracle and to even go and put yourself in that situation. Now, I know his friends brought him, but I don't see anything that says that he was kicking and screaming. I think he wanted to go. He just needed some direction to get to Jesus. So thank God for people that point us to Jesus. Thank God for people that bring us to Jesus. Don't stop praying for folks that need Him. Don't stop leading people to Him. You can't control what they do with Him when they get there, but it is absolutely your job to tell them about Him and get them to Him, if possible. And so, if Bethsaida was a city of unbelief that had rejected Jesus, I believe that that is why we see Jesus take this man and remove him from that place so that He can do this miracle. He had to take Jesus out of that unbelieving environment so that He could perform this miracle of faith on this blind man. And I think that the application I see in that for us is many of you today, and I've been there too, we want God to change us and to change our circumstance but we are unwilling to move from the place that brought us to the mess that we're in to begin with. And until we will let God move us out of the situation, the environment, the obstacles, the people that are causing us to continue to lose our first love, to struggle with our faith, to rob us of our joy, we continue to stay in that place and then say, hey God, help me. But we're right back in the mess because we won't let Him first lead us out of that place to where we need to be. And I think that the reason for that, number one, is this. That oftentimes, as human beings, we like control. And we like what's comfortable. And I have seen in my own life and I've seen in others' lives over the years of ministry and counseling that most people would rather suffer with what's familiar, they would rather stay in a suffering, bad circumstance that's familiar to them instead of risking what would be better in an unknown place. It's easier to stay comfortable and miserable 
than it is to take a step of faith and find victory. And the enemy will use that against you. And for some of you, he has been for a long time now. And I'll say something else about this. Jesus took the man's hand and he led him. Make sure you're walking with Jesus. Or you're getting counsel from somebody that's walking with Jesus. Because I'll say this, who you travel with can be more important than your destination. If you're walking with the wrong people, it really doesn't matter where you're going. But if you're walking with Jesus, you're always going to go to the right place. Be careful who you're walking with. But when Jesus is separating you from the environment that is causing you to lose your first love, grab a hold of Him and go. Grab a hold of Him and follow. Because Jesus must separate us from some things today if we ever want to see clearly again where we need to go. And until you're willing to be removed from that environment, I didn't say you move yourself where you want to go. I said when God wants to move you where He wants you to go, then you step out in faith and follow Him obediently. And then your vision will be restored. I want to ask you a question before we move on. What is your Bethsaida this morning? What is the place that is causing you so much grief, so much unbelief, so much struggle, and God is saying you need to come out from among that place. Come out from among those people. And you've made excuse after excuse. Today it's time to take Jesus by the hand and be separated from some things that are holding you back from your walk with Christ. Jesus separated the one He touched. Number two, Jesus shocked the one He touched. Look again at verse 23. He takes the blind man by the hand. He leads him out of the village. And it says, when He had spat on His eyes. I don't know about you, but the old Chris from Hamilton, Ohio, a fight just started. If somebody spits in my face... We're, we're, we're going somewhere. Not good. Right? So my next question was, obviously this is the Son of God, but still, does it not strike you as a bit odd that Jesus decides to lead this guy out of the city and when they get where they're going, He turns to him and spits in the man's face? So the next question again I asked was, why? Why on earth would Jesus choose to heal this man by spitting in his face? He could have just spoke it. He could have just touched him. He could have done it a million different ways. Why this? Why would Jesus spit? Three times in the Bible, Jesus uses spit to heal someone. He uses it here. He uses it in John chapter 9 with the blind man. Where actually, he takes the mud and makes new eyes for that man. And he does so in Mark 7 where the man's tongue needs to be loosed, the Bible says. And he spits and touches the man's tongue. And he speaks. That's the only three times in the Bible where Jesus Himself uses spit to heal someone. But I still think, for me, that's a bit strange. It's just a bit odd. I'm just being honest. Maybe that's normal when you read it. You don't see anything wrong with that. But I, I just, it struck me as odd. And I wanted to try to find an answer. And so I read commentary after commentary on this portion of Scripture. And almost every commentary I read spoke about the fact that in ancient times, other cultures believed in healing properties of saliva. But that wasn't common for the Jews. In all the Jewish writings that I read and looked at, they understood that that was believed, but there was no record that I could find that they ever practiced that. That they went around and said, we'll take a little saliva and wipe it on wounds, wipe it on your eyes. It just wasn't something that was common in biblical times. And so I began to, to think, well, if, if it wasn't that, and obviously Jesus didn't need to use spit, He was the Son of God. He, he could have done it anyway, like I said. And so I, I started to try to find in Scripture what it, if it said anything about spit. And everything that I could find in the Old Testament talked about spitting on someone in a negative light. 
It didn't ever have anything good to say in the few passages that I could find. In Leviticus 15, it talked about the fact that if, if someone is spit upon, that they are unclean, that they are made unclean by that. In Numbers 12, 14, it says there, the Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So, obviously in the Bible, spitting on someone carries a negative connotation. But Jesus just isn't any other guy. So I still wasn't convinced that He was spitting on someone in a negative light. And I'm not convinced necessarily, guys, that I'm standing here before you giving you the rock-solid answer. I'm simply sharing with you what I felt like God showed me as I studied this passage of Scripture. So what I'm giving you right now is my conclusion. You, as always, should study it for yourself. You can agree with me. You can disagree with me. I don't think it's a salvation issue one way or another. But here's my conclusion why Jesus spit on the man's face and in his eyes. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 39, Jesus is just starting His ministry. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She has a fever. And it says in Luke 4.39, as He, Jesus, stood over her, Peter's mother-in-law, listen to what it says. He rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. She had an illness. I think it's poignant to us to see that Jesus spoke not to the mother-in-law. He spoke to the fever. Do you, see, do you notice that? It says He rebuked the fever. He spoke directly to it. He didn't tell her, you need to believe. I'm, I'm here. Just believe. He said to, this, to the fever itself, I rebuke you. And it left her. Why do I bring that up? Because Jesus has authority over all things. He has authority over all of creation, including disease and sickness. I promise you I'm not going to get weird. We're not going to have this big healing service or anything. But it, you, God can heal. Amen. God is the great physician. And part of the things that God does when He touches people is He heals them. I've shared my testimony and I believe when someone's sick, we ought to pray that God would touch them and heal them. And we ought to believe in faith. We ought to ask in faith. I don't think that's weird. I think that's biblical. We're scared to death to be a little too Pentecostal. But it's a fact. The Bible says if any's sick, let them be anointed with oil and pray over them. Call the elders. And we ought to do those things. We ought to do those things. I believe. But Jesus speaks to the fever and it leaves because He has authority. Why I say this is this. Here's my conclusion. I don't believe that Jesus spit in the man's face. I believe Jesus spit on the blindness. I'm going to say that again. I don't believe Jesus spit just on the man's face. I believe Jesus spit on the blindness. The condition that this man was in. The condition that sin and the curse had brought about. All sin, sickness, and death is a result of the fall. God created a perfect world and because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, sin and death entered in. All of us are guilty because of all have sinned. And so the reality is, guys, we live in a world where there's sick little children this morning. There's people that have died far too young. And there's all kinds of problems. There's places like hospice because we live in a fallen world. And Jesus on that cross shed His blood to defeat and declare victory over those things. The victory, my friends, is already won. You can clap because He's worthy of it. You might wake somebody up if you clap loud enough. He is worthy this morning because He has declared victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And so, I believe that His act of spitting on the man's blindness, because remember, it's viewed in a negative light all through Scripture. I believe Jesus is making a statement to the enemy. He's making a statement to the fact that He is God and He has authority over all things and He's already crushed the enemy under His heel. It says in Colossians 2, 
verses 13 through 15. It says, You who are dead in your trespasses and your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Listen to what he says. He made us alive together with Him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame. He put them to an open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus is declaring victory for us on the cross. And He's once again reminding the people and this blind man that He has put the enemy to shame. And sickness and suffering may be a reality for a short season that we live in this life. But we don't just sing victory in Jesus because it's a good old song. We declare victory in Jesus because that's what we have. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus our Lord. He spits on the blindness because spiritually in Christ we are made to see, but one day, yes my friends, the blind physically will see. The lame will walk. The deaf will hear. The mute will speak. Because when we get there, on the banks of the promised land, our faith will become sight. And so Jesus is declaring victory. He's putting to shame the situation that caused this man to have blindness to begin with. That is my conclusion to what is going on here. And sometimes... In our walk, Jesus has to do shocking things to get our attention. He didn't need to spit on the man's face, but it was a shocking thing. It's something that the people in this man would always remember. And oftentimes, we need to be shaken for Jesus to get a hold of us. I've never really heard anyone share a testimony of coming to faith in Christ where God didn't do something to shake you out of your stupor to realize that you needed Him. And every time I've seen somebody backslide and get away from God, it unfortunately takes some big life-altering circumstance to get their attention again. For me, in 2004, it was ICU at Miami Valley to get my attention. That's what it took. I didn't want to go there, but God took me by the hand and we went. And looking back on it, I'm thankful every day that He spared my life and brought me out of that place. But I could have avoided that place to begin with if I would have been obedient and I would have followed Him to begin with. But I didn't. And some of you aren't this morning. And as a result of that, you're confused and you're discouraged. And if you're honest, you're defeated. And God is going to shock you if that's what it takes to get your attention again. He's going to separate you from the places of unbelief or the people of unbelief or the things that are causing you to sin. He's going to separate you from there. And He may shock you in the way that He does it. And so look what Jesus does with this man after He spits in His eyes. It says He laid hands on him. He lays hands on this man. And He asked him, Do you see anything? And the man looked up and he said, I see men, but they look like trees. Just walking, just swaying around. When I read that, I thought, well, this man obviously hasn't been blind since birth. Because he knows what men look like and he knows what trees look like. He has some understanding of those things. So obviously, he was born with sight and somewhere along the way he lost it. Just like us. Jesus gives us sight when we are born again, I once was lost, but now I'm find, found was blind, but now I see. But along the way, we lose our vision a little bit. Things get blurry. We see, but we don't see too clearly. And here's the last point, and I'll be done. Jesus satisfies the one He touches. Look what it says in verse 25. He did this, the man can't see clearly, and then in verse 25, it says... Then Jesus laid His hands on His eyes again. My third question is the same as the other two. Why? Why did Jesus have to touch this guy twice? This is the Son of God. One touch was all it would take. Did He fail? Did He mess up the first time? Why 
did Jesus touch him the first time and his sight not completely be restored? Why did it take another touch? I love what the Bible says in that verse. It says when he laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes, look what it says. His sight was restored. Say that word. Restored. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. There's a story in the Gospel of John where they're in the upper room, including Judas, and they've just taken the Lord's Supper. And Jesus does the most amazing act of servanthood that we see in the Scriptures other than going to the cross. After supper, He gets down on the ground, He girds Himself with a towel, and He begins to wash the dirty, nasty, smelly feet of the disciples. The Son of God Himself is bowed down, taking the feet that He created in His hands and washing them. Think about that for a minute. That's what He's doing. And in John 13, verses 8-10, through 10, I want you to see what He says to Peter, and I think it will give us our answer as to what was going on in this text today. In John 13, 8-10, as He's washing the feet, He comes to good old Peter. And Peter always has something to say, usually wrong when he says it. Can you relate? Peter says to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter doubles down the other direction. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. I'm going to get in the shower and you wash me down. I'm ready. I went from you won't touch my feet to just give me a whole bath. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed, cleansed, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Speaking of Judas in that case. Jesus says, you've been cleansed. You have been made new. But when you walk in this world, your feet will most likely get dirty. As believers, we walk through this world and we get a little dirty sometimes. We don't lose our salvation. We don't lose our relationship because that's based on Him, not us. But we do get a little dirty. And I asked you this morning, have you lost your joy? Have you lost your peace? Have you lost your purpose? Do you feel a bit more hopeless? I would say that there's a lot of dirt caked on your feet this morning. And you need the Son of God to touch you again and wash that off and get you back where you need to be. He needs to touch your eyes again and help you to see clearly where He found you and where He's bringing you from and where He's bringing you to. He needs to touch some of us again. We need our vision restored because we don't see Jesus like we used to see Him. And it starts with admitting that. You don't see the path as clear as you used to see it. And you're groping around in the dark. And you need to take that hand. Maybe because you're staying at Bethsaida, you're not allowing God to do the healing work in your life. Because He's trying to separate you. And if He can't separate you, He's going to shock you to do so. And when you finally surrender to Him, my friends, He will satisfy you. There is satisfaction in Christ alone. You're looking in the wrong places to find and meet your spiritual need. The reason why as a believer you are so miserable is because you're fishing in the wrong pond. You're looking in the wrong places. You're never going to find satisfaction for those deep things of God in worldly means and in worldly people and in worldly places. Verse 26 and I'm done. He sent him to his home. But look what he told him again. Do not even enter the village. Here's my warning for you today. We're going to give an invitation. Some of you will come. Some of you won't. But the ones that come and the ones that don't come are both going to be faced with the same situation. You're going to come and ask God to help you or you're going to refuse for whatever reason. 
But regardless, the devil is waiting for you in your car. He's, he's, he's waiting on you. The enemy is waiting on you. And you can say today, that's it. I'm separating myself. I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to do what I need to do. The devil will be in your ear when you get in the car to pull out of here. Those same people that have been pulling you away are going to be waiting for you at school on Monday or at your job on Monday or at your house when you get home. They're not going anywhere. They're going to be there. All those negative thoughts and those fears and those anxieties that you allow to live rent-free in your head are still going to be there after this service ends, after this invitation ends. ends. It's a reality. And if you go back to Bethsaida when you leave here, all those things will come back. If God is calling you out of something, if He's got your attention this morning, if you have woke up, you need to come to Him and you need to realize that this isn't the end of the fight. Your eyes are now open to the fight. The reason why you've been getting bloodied and beaten is because the enemy's been battling and beating you to death and you don't even realize what's going on because your vision has been blurred. This morning, maybe you're awake and you say, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I want to be. Don't work harder. Take the hand and surrender. Trust Him. Let Him lead you where He wants to take you. Separate yourself from those things. And you're going to have to die daily. You're going to have to go to war daily. You're going to have to put on the armor of God daily. I wish it was as simple as coming up here and praying and praying for the rest of your life. You'll never have a struggle again. You're going to face these things again. Because you face a devil that's he doesn't go on vacation either. He doesn't take a day off. Your flesh doesn't take a day off. It's going to continue to bombard you with things. You need the Spirit of God and you need the people of God and the Word of God to help you through these things. My friends, if you're not where you want to be, today is the day to have Jesus touch you again. And He'll do that today. I'm going to invite Phyllis to come and Anita to come. And we're going to give this hymn of invitation. But I'm asking you today, will you trust Him? Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please Him. It is impossible to please Him. I'm going to give you this verse and then we're going to sing this song of invitation. James 1, verses 6 and 7 says, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If you come today, you come in faith. You say, but I, may, I don't hardly have any faith. I don't know if I have faith left. It's not the size of your faith, it's the object of your faith. If you'll come today and say, Jesus, I need you with all that I have, with what little I have. I'm looking to you today to restore my vision and touch me again. You better come today in faith and watch what God does. Will you trust Him today with your soul, with your life, with your family, with your job, with your mental health? Whatever you're going through, will you trust Him today and then put on the armor and get ready to fight every day and know that there are angels encamped around you and people in this room that will go to war with you but you have got to get serious about your walk with God today let's pray father we come to you today asking you I'm asking you to touch me again God touch me again in the places where my vision has failed where my heart has failed where my faith has failed and help me Lord to trust You. Help the people in this room and watching online to trust You again, Lord. Let them come and get the touch from God that they need for their families, for their lives, to be changed and to get in the fight and make a difference in this world. Let us not let the enemy take another second of our joy and our satisfaction in Christ. We give You the praise today, Lord. And now as we go into this invitation, I ask You to move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we stand, as we sing, you don't wait, you come. If you're not where you need to be, take His hand and trust Him. If you can't come alone, grab somebody's hand and ask Him to come with you. Don't wait.
right there not some of it not a portion of it all of it I'm going to trust you Jesus my life is a wreck and I'm tired of living this way I'm not going to take another step without Jesus he's going to take my hand and he's going to lead me I don't even know where I'm going but I'm going to take his hand and trust that he knows where he's going and where he leads me I will follow will you surrender to him today if you're lost today, if you don't know for sure if you died tonight that heaven would be your home, you need to take a step of faith today and trust Jesus. He died for you. He lives for you. He's offered everything that you need to be a child of God and have your sins forgiven. And the enemy's got you convinced, not this week. I need to try harder first. I need to figure this out first. You just need to surrender. You need to surrender to Him. Where is your unbelief? Where is your fear? Where is your anxiety? Surrender it to Him. I'm not saying that it's going to be fixed instantaneously, but I'm saying that's the first step. If you're not going the right way, it doesn't matter where you end up. It's going to be wrong. Would you trust Him today? bow your heads. I, I don't keep a long invitation. I always say, the Holy Spirit initiates it and you close it. When you say it's done, it's done. And you say that by not responding. You say, well, I can respond where I'm at. Yes, you can. You can. But I think that there's something special that happens when you take that step of faith. I think when you publicly acknowledge your need of Christ, it gives you a commitment and it gives the church a desire to pray stronger for you. I don't know that I necessarily have a lot of Bible for that, but I've sure seen it enough over the years to have confidence in that. So we're going to sing one more verse. And if God is dealing with you, and if when I say dealing, you got a feeling down in your heart that you just are dying for me to be done so you can get out of here. That's God dealing with you. And I can promise you this, running out the doors will not fix your problem. But run into Christ, Will.
you're going to run one of two directions. You're going to run to Him or you're going to run from Him. But only one is going to fix what you're going through. So as we sing this last stanza, I hope you'll run to Him this morning. should reach repentance whether you're lost or whether you're saved repentance is his heart's desire for you he's not willing that any should perish he's not willing that any should stay in that place of defeat and discouragement and we all get there church that's why i felt like he put that message on my heart today we all need our feet washed we all need touched again you're not odd you're not out of place you're normal like every one of us God can bring us back where we need to be. And I'm glad for that. Go ahead and you can be seated for just a minute. We'll dismiss. I just want to go through real quick a couple of, of announcements that are going on at the church just to make you aware of some things that are coming up. I think we have those. They're all the way down at the bottom. Not working? I'll try to remember Operation Christmas Child, obviously. Uh, thank you, church, to all those. If you're here this morning and you're panicked, we need them. 